When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, uglies, and welcome to the Belay Brothers Creatures of the Night on the Fangoria Podcast Network. Before we get to the show, we want to tell you about Fangoria.com. It's a little crazy out there right now, so Fangoria is offering a free two-month digital membership to our listeners. All you have to do is go to Fangoria.com and make an account. You'll then have full access to exclusive articles, interviews, and reviews on the site, as well as original video content and podcasts. You'll even have access to high-resolution scans of the original run of Fangoria magazine, which is quite a treasure trove. Go to Fangoria.com now to start your free digital membership. And if you're looking to add to your social distancing watch list, Fangoria's latest movie, VFW, is now available to stream on demand. You little freaks might also enjoy Satanic Panic and Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, streaming now on Shudder. Now let's dim the lights, turn up the volume, and let the show begin. Now from Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, Fangoria presents the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. All right, everyone, this is your official welcome to the show and the next episode of the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night. Here we are again. Swan, how are you enjoying doing the podcast so far? Honestly, it's two things. And I've said this a couple of times to you guys on the side. It is more work than I could have imagined and also more pleasurable than I should have imagined. I love it. I like it too. You know, we're on our third episode and it looks like everybody is enjoying the show. It seems to be blowing up. I think we're already one of the most listened to shows on Fangoria. So congratulations on that. (laughs) Thank you. Congratulations (laughs) to you too. And yeah, we appreciate that everyone's tuning in and enjoying the show so far. So thank you for listening. I do want to remind everybody who is at home listening, if you enjoy the podcast, make sure you leave a rating and a review wherever you listen to the show. The ratings are important. So remember, after you're done listening to the show, to take time to give us a five-star rating and click send. 
<laughs> we would yeah, appreciate I, that. I think it's important for, for listeners to make time to do that, especially if it's favorable. I mean, if it is, if it's five for you, definitely take the time out of your day to go and leave a rating for us. And if it's just not your thing, well, you could just go die and don't bother leaving a rating at all. Yeah, I'm not really sure about the people that listen but hate us. But you know what? They're supporting us too. So thank you, haters, for tuning in. Thank you, haters. Thank you, that one one one-star review that, of (laughs) course, I did see. Thank you very much. I'm sure it's someone that has hated us for a long time, and I hope you're getting everything you need out of this podcast. While we're living our lives, we're also living in their nightmares, haunting them because they just can't stop thinking about us and what we're doing. We live in your head, darling. (laughs) (laughs) just kidding all right Um, not really but um. (laughs) let's talk about what's going on with us this week and check in with our world we could talk about our new digital drag show um i don't know how many of you guys tuned into our theater macabre it was our first digital drag show it's kind of like a little short movie production live experience that you had to buy tickets for and it aired uh live twice and it actually, we just found out, is up for a bunch of awards, which I'm really excited about. Um, did you see that, Swan? Yeah, I did. And um, I just kind of want to catch everyone up in case they're unfamiliar. But there are a lot of digital drag shows now that the world has gone into quarantine and everyone's secluded. And the one that we're working with is the digitaldragfest.com, where there's a series of performers that happen um, throughout the day and performances that happen throughout the day. And it's been going on for weeks. We had a few shows, they did sell out and they are up for some awards. So let's just take a minute. I think um, we're up for like what won five different awards, um, including the best digital drag show, no brainer, um, the best set design, lip sync, uh, best artist in a digital drag show, uh, the drag fest show, which I really love that one because I think you can agree. We really looked at this as kind of a, an artistic challenge and, and it really was to create shows uh, and create 30 to 45 minutes of content in seclusion just with what we've had on hand, which was kind of exciting that we're up for the Best Artist Award, uh, and I kind of appreciate that nomination. And also the Most Outrageous, and that's a, that's a no-brainer for me as well. Yeah, I... <laughs> If you do say so yourself. Hey, look, I can be honest, right? If I do a crappy performance, I'll say, ooh, that wasn't my best. But we go out there and we hit a home run and we're just killing everything, um, which I think we did with the Theater Macabre. I'm proud of it. So I can can talk in from that perspective. I think it's good to be... proud of what you do it's hard with these voting things I always feel really awkward being like hey vote for me but you know the recognition is nice uh if anyone's gonna win a major award in a pandemic i think it should be us so it's poetic if, i think so too but anyways if you do want to vote for us you can go to digitaldragfest.com backslash vote and choose us for every category now um and also let's talk about our new show that's coming out a little bit Right. We've designed a second show. Um, and the way that we've decided to tackle this whole idea of a digital drag show is we've kind of themed it. So when, when you sign in and, and the show begins, we sort of take you on a strange journey, if you will. And, um, this one is called the Boulay Brothers Horror Picture Show, which is launching, I think it's Sunday. Is that May 24th? May 24th at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. We're doing two shows and it's sort of our, if it comes from the same world, it's a Rocky Horror Picture Show, but it's our story. It's the Boulay Brothers Horror Picture Show. So there is a little bit of references to Rocky there, but it's as if we are from the same planet that 
they were from, but this is our own tale. And I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun with it. Very different from the kind of somber tones of Theater Macabre. Um, but we, we take all those notes that you get from watching Rocky Horror, like amplified sexuality, um, visitors from another planet. There's violence, there's sadness. It's kind of all there, but it's our take on it. And I'm really excited about it. I am too. I hope you guys join us and watch it. Uh, tickets again are at digitaldragfest.com. And that is on the 24th. So I think there'll be two days after this comes out that you guys can still get tickets. We also have new merchandise coming out. A lot of people have been asking us about merchandise for a while. The site's been sold out. Uh, and we took a little break from merch during the initial onset of COVID. And uh, because it was just a weird time to be shipping things out. And we had sold out of all of our inventory. But I'm excited to say that we have five new 8x10s that we sign and write uh, personalized notes on. We have four new shirt designs. And I believe the Hello Uglies fans are being restocked. And there's a new pen as well. A lot of fun stuff for people to check out. Yeah. So those of you that were asking, that stuff is coming out soon. So you can go to our website, bladebrothersdragula.com and get information on all that. And as much as I love talking about us, I think it's time. <laughs> I think it's time to shift gears a little bit. And despite the fact that the world is still experiencing a pandemic, the worlds of horror and entertainment rest for no one. And we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, so let's welcome back to the show our co-host and official news reporter of the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. He's the triclops to our skeletor, if you will, Mr. Ian DeVogler. Hello, ladies. How are you guys today? You fantastic. Thank you for joining us. How are you doing? I am amazing. Thank you guys so much for having me again. I was thinking about you earlier because uh, I know that you recently relocated and moved into a new place. And I was... I did. Yes, and I was thinking last night how terrified you must be because I know how scared you get in your house. <laughs> and I'm like, if he's out there now, I am sure he is scared as hell sitting on his couch with a knife at night like a weirdo. <laughs> Okay, like not to be a total ghoul, but you you called it. Uh, two nights ago, I was literally, I heard a noise. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. And I grabbed my giant machete, which I keep under the bed. And I'm like walking through the apartment like Mia Jovovich in Resident Evil, like <gasps> jumping out of the corner trying to catch someone. I realized, oh no, wait, I just live in the suburbs now, like some rich white lady. Yeah, when you were like, it's so much quieter here. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I know what's coming next. I know that's quieter now. You think it's cute during the day, but come four in the morning. I want, I want to see what you think. <laughs> well, I, I absolutely love it. And thank you. Yeah, I, I did move and it is ghoulish and scary. I can see the mountains right outside. I, I can see Russia from my house. Um, I can see the mountains right outside. There are coyotes. There are little raccoons everywhere. Um, I'm definitely mm. living my suburban uh, secluded fantasy and I love it. Well, a view uh, in suburbia, how entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> we would have bought you a, a perfectly yeah. suburban gift, but, you know, we're quarantined, so sorry. Well, hopefully we can have a housewarming whenever this is all lifted, and I can get you guys out of the crypt. Right. Okay, so what <laughs> do you have for us today, news-wise? This was surprisingly kind of a big week for horror news and i'll just kind of jump right into it the first thing i have for you is a new category of horror films is up for awards it was just announced for the nightmare film festival which is a film festival that takes place in columbus ohio from october 22nd to the 25th and the new category is called shut-in shorts and they're films produced in isolation within the limits of quarantine or shelter in place orders oh that's really interesting you know 
our uh, the director, one of the directors of uh, the Blade Brothers Dragula, created a horror short and the pandemic as well. So it's Michael Verratti. Uh, Hopefully, he puts his movie in there. Well, if not, we'll have to tell him to get on it. I wonder if this would make, you know, this genre kind of recognized elsewhere. But I don't know. I think it's just a really cool addition to the festival. Yeah, you know, Michael was talking to us about his film and he literally directed it from his couch. He had several monitors and he would sort of have a monitor behind the person who was at their computer recording it. And it was this whole process and it sounded really interesting. It was innovative in the way that the digital drag show we've talked about us doing was a big change for us. I think this was a big change for him. And it sounds like he rose to the occasion. That's so interesting too. Like this, uh, the new development of this uh, category is very much in the same lines of someone directing a horror short from their couch or us producing a drag show digitally and remotely. It's that whole idea that necessity is the mother of invention. So it's kind of cool to see what, what may pop up Agreed. next. Absolutely. So the Mutter Museum is doing a virtual tour. And for those of you who don't know, the Mutter Museum is a medical history and abnormalities museum. It's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and there's a huge variety of medical exhibits ranging from the normal to the strange and abnormal with like medical maladies and ghoulish experiments throughout. And you can do a virtual 360 tour on the website, kind of adding to what we talked about on the last podcast, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure you personally love this sort of museum because I know that's <laughs> medical that's horror. <laughs> totally. I, I, I don't know what it is about medical horror, but I think it's something about a space where you're supposed to trust people with your own safety that's then turned upside down its head freaks me out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the idea of going from uh, I'm going to be healed to I'm going to be the victim of some kind of horrific idea is kind of a, a weird psychic jump. I love it. Speaking of things that I love, uh, the first screenshots of Terrifier 2 have appeared online. For those of you who don't know, the movie is a direct sequel to uh, Terrifier, which was directed by Damien Leone. And the official Facebook page for the film teased a new photo of Art the Clown covered in blood and his signature smile. And it basically spent or sent the entire fandom spinning. And by the entire fandom, I totally mean <laughs> You were totally spinning like a top in your new apartment. Can I tell you what my favorite uh, part about Terrifier 2 is... Melissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp oh. is going to be in it. Oh my god, I did not know yeah, that. She I is. Love it. Yeah. Totally. Oh, I I know we all love Felissa. We she is one of my favorite people that I met through season 3 of the Belay Brothers Dragula. I love her. Yeah, ever since she was on she was a judge on season 3 of the show, we've run into her at a bunch of horror conventions and she is the life of the party. Like Felissa at a <laughs> horror convention is so much fun. <laughs> Up next, I think we've all heard of murder hornets by now, yeah. and there are now also giant gypsy moths that are terrorizing the United what States. What is a giant gypsy moth, and <laughs> what does it do? This is so stupid. <laughs> Go on. Well, the giant gypsy moth is basically Bothra from the Godzilla franchise. Um, they are from Hokkaido, Japan, and the experts are saying that they're absolutely more dangerous than murder hornets because they can devastate crops, defoliate trees, and if left unchecked, they could take down an entire forest in the span of two to three years. So they're a huge threat to the U.S., more so than killing 50 people a year, which is what the murder hornets so are, are supposed to be. scary from kind of a nerdier point of view. Like, they're, you know, it's not quite the visual of a murder hornet, which seems very aggressive and visual. This is like a moth that slowly kills your crops. <laughs> right, this is the... <laughs> This is the slow burn hereditary horror of the insect world. <laughs> How dare you? How actually dare you? 
Now, I well, am definitely going to Google that when we're done to make sure that you didn't make that up. I trust you, but I don't know. That's a stretch. <laughs> You're going to find that I made all these topics up. None of this is real. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, what is real is the fact that most of most news outlets today aren't there to deliver news. They're, to, they're in business. So they have to keep us all like, oh, my God, murder hornets. Oh, my God, lo- huge gypsy moths are going to destroy my forest. It's like, give me a break. If, like They're trying to keep everybody in this state of fear. If you did the news and that voice, I would listen to it. <laughs> Same, absolutely. Well, look, the podcast world has been very good to us in our all of our two episodes. Who knows? Maybe we'll have to have news bulletins with Swan Thule as a special segment of this show. Yes, I can't wait. So what else is going on? The last thing that I have for you guys is there are more delays and new release dates, specifically New Mutants, uh, which is kind of the horror adaptation of the X-Men. It's an X-Men film. It's getting a third release date. Uh, it is delayed again. It was officially supposed to come out in February of 2019, then August of 2019, and then it was pushed back again to April 3rd, 2020, which, as we all know, has come and gone, and there is a new release date that's saying it's going to be August 28th, 2020, but who knows if that's actually going to happen. Yeah, the fandom online is not reacting well to the new date. It's very much sure, Jan. Like, it's like time. every response is a meme of an eye roll or something like that. (laughs) I do wonder, I don't think it's going to be tied into the X-Men. I might be wrong. I don't think it's going to be tied into x-men movies though because even though in the comic world and marvel comics it is connected with the x-men they're like sort of junior x-men um i Mm. think the movie rights or something i think it's going to be too different it's not going to be a shared universe but i could be wrong well either way i know that there's huge levels of anticipation for this film and it definitely crosses over into way more of like a horror film than it does like an action film which we're accustomed to when it comes to x-men films and superhero films in general but i know like the rest of the fandom we're not going to get excited about this i'm not going to start planning what seat i want to watch it because you know we've been teased like four Uh, times so when we get there we'll see i think uh it's probably going to end up coming out on disney plus or something that's my prediction but i think it looks incredible (laughs) It the visuals for it look great the horror theme and I, I used to read the New Mutants back in the day and the time period that, that they picked this content from it was fantastic so if they stick to the script it'll be really good well I can't wait regardless I want to see it I hope it comes out on August 28th and if not I guess I will get my Disney Plus membership and that I will I'll wait with my popcorn becoming more and more stale by the day get ready <laughs> All right, so before we move on, for those of you who joined us on the last episode of the show, you'll remember that we talked about how many famous haunted attractions around the world are now offering online virtual tours. And we told you that the three of us were going to try one of these tours and report back to you. So we have done just that. So Ian, why don't you share a little bit about the tour we took? We took a tour of the dun 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 Winchester Mystery House. And for those of you that don't know, the Winchester Mystery House is in San Jose. And it is it was built in the 1880s and it was under construction for almost 40 years. Uh, it was owned by Sarah Winchester, and it's known for having all these strange abnormalities in the construction of it, like staircases that lead to nowhere, or rooms that are completely entombed within the building, or even windows on the floor. And generally, it's thought to be haunted by the spirits of people killed by Winchester rifles. There are a few hauntings reported there as well, and which when I was going through the tour, I don't know if you caught some, they have little side stories that you can click on, and I saw at least two... Uh examples of hauntings there and one of them had a video actually how was y'all's experience we did this in isolation as well so i did mine separately what did you guys think i mean here's the thing i i was looking at it more of 
uh, more from the perspective of, hey, what's it like to do a virtual tour of a real place that I might like to visit? So I wasn't so much going in as uh, from this place of like, let me educate myself on the Winchester house, Sarah Winchester and the hauntings of the mansion, even though that was exciting. I just thought, hey, let's see how this website operates. Can you really get a sense of what it's like? And I kind of feel like it's a great way to explore a place that you might actually like to visit because you can get a sense of its grandeur or its mystery or how it's laid mm-hmm. out or, or the feel of what it looks like. But I, I would say it's not a, uh, a substitute um, th- uh, for being there in the flesh at all. I would agree with you. I think I I came in expecting something and I was a little disappointed. I think the tour itself, it's for those of you who don't know what the format is like, it's if you've ever gone on like apartments.com or something and done a virtual tour of a one bedroom apartment. It's like that, but it's the Winchester mansion. Um, and I put on my spooky playlist. I had all the lights <laughs> turned off and I started exploring this mansion and I was like, Oh, wait, she's just eccentric and she just has a lot of money and likes to build things. Okay, cool. <laughs> I appreciate that they did a virtual tour of this house, but if there was one haunted attraction that I would not do a virtual tour of, it is this house because, oh my God, there are a thousand rooms that go to nowhere and hallways. And this is not the virtual tour you are looking for. It's not. Totally it's sweetie. not even the one you want in real life. I mean, you can go there, but to look through the whole house, it is confusing. Like, if I took Swan there, I would never see you again. I'm sure of it. Oh, no, that's the truth. Like, I'll get lost in the parking lot. Like, there's no <laughs> way. Like, just release me in that house and I will never, I will never be haunting that place for the rest of time. <laughs> the history of the house is, is interesting in that it does stem from like, kind of like a family curse. And if I get, I have a loose understanding of what it was. So Sarah Winchester kind of had like a lot of, um, misfortune. Like her, her child died and her husband was killed or he died from a, a, a disease. Um, and she saw a medium who basically said, you need to move to the West and build a house and never stop building. Cause the, the day you stop is the day that the ghosts, uh, of the people that were killed by Winchester rifles will haunt you. So she pretty much, she had the money. She was like super uber filthy rich, um, and just kept building and building and building. And, and I like to imagine her in this like labyrinth of her own design, just, incessantly building to escape these ghosts that may or may not be there almost like this weird like psychological cage that she built for herself i do have an accusation to swing at whoever's operating the winchester house right now i know you went to hobby lobby i saw some of your hobby mm-hmm. lobby props and they're trying to make it look mm-hmm. old-fashioned <laughs> sure did but honestly there's a lot of gorgeous furniture still in there old stoves and sort of like they set up little dinner places and there's like a little breakfast nook with treats and things on it. It's kind of charming. Let's not forget the Freddy Krueger style boiler and that the larger of their two basement boilers. And right below the cute table of cakes is a Freddy Krueger oven. You are right. (laughs) Where they bake that and probably some people too. (laughs) Speaking of the furniture, this is my big gripe with this tour. It gave me a lot of information, but I think it almost gave me too much. You guys know... If there is a big thing to read, I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to educate myself about it. And so I did. I looked at this tour for like hours and the little anecdotes they would give would be something like the furniture in this house is not the original furniture. The original furniture was all sold during this estate sale. And this is all furniture that was period accurate. I'm like, okay, so it's not even her stuff. 
And then they would talk about, oh, Sarah Winchester made a thousand dollars a day and she was so crazy that she would just buy the entire bolt of fabric. I'm like, well, no shit. Like she's like richer than God. Like, of course. It just seems strange. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, I think it's interesting to take a tour like this because this is a place that I wouldn't necessarily set out on an adventure to go see in person. So in the pandemic, it's sort of an interesting way to pass the time, I think. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we return, we'll be headed straight into the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night movie review. You don't want to miss it. Arda Wiggs has been serving looks in the drag and costume community since 2009. Their reputation in the wig world is well known for providing luscious, thick, snatchingly good styles that turn heads and ensure you are serving the most devilish of looks. With over 100 colors and 80 styles to choose from, they're sure to have something to make you scream. Use the code ARDABOULET10 for 10% off at arda-wigs.com and treat yourself to something truly hair-raising. Welcome back, uglies. As you know, each week we pick an upcoming movie or two that's hitting theaters or streaming services soon. We watch and dissect them and give you our thoughts on what we like and what we don't like. Our first movie this week is a Shudder original. It's called Blood Machines. It's a 50-minute science fiction film written and directed by Seth Eckerman and scored by synthwave artist Carpenter Brute. The movie is actually a sequel of the director and musician's first collaboration together, which was a music video for Carpenter Brute's song Turbo Killer. It's a super stylized story of two space hunters who are tracking down a machine that's trying to free itself from their grasp. And after taking it down, they witness a mystical phenomenon, the ghost of a young woman pulling itself out of the machine as if the spaceship had a soul. Of course, what follows is a sort of outer space chase scene that turns into something altogether different. Uh, I know you guys were both excited about this movie coming out, as were a lot of friends of ours. So we have finally seen Blood Machines. What did you think? Well, I want to start by saying I immediately recognized it uh, from the world of Carpenter Brute because I, I want to bring the clock back. I think it was like 2015 or 16 when I came across Carpenter Brute for the first time. And I really came across the musical genre of synthwave for the first time and kind of fell in love with it. Um, Turbo Killer, I think, happened to be my first experience with that. The song is great and the visuals and the video is phenomenal. Like it is coming from this weird, super sacrilegious, super future. Uh, it, there's a chase scene. It's like really high octane. So I fell in love with it. When we hit play on, um, Blood Machines, I didn't know any of this stuff in the background that it was Seth Ickerman and working with Carpenter Brew again. And immediately it brought me back to the world of that video. So I was kind of thrilled right from the start there's even um some of the characters from the video are actually you know just carried through uh into the movie so for me that was kind of a pleasant surprise yeah i think i had a similar reaction when i first started i knew that it was a sequel to turbo killer but i didn't really know what to expect um when it started i was instantly in love with the visuals i thought this is super stylistic it's fabulous looking and i'm a huge fan of kind of cyberpunk's origins like william gibson's high tech versus low life so the ship coming in with almost its like dripping maw 
kind of feel. I was like, this is so sexy. This is so beautiful looking. I loved it. Oh yeah. That ship looked like it had a mouth. Like those, those, that exterior architecture, I said it aloud. I'm like, this ship has teeth. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. I And I really love the effect of the plasma rifle. I won't go too far into it, but I think that where the film really shines is its style and its obvious love of that genre, that kind of 80s, super future, very dark looking. And stylistically, thought as a 10 out of 10. I have some other issues with it, but I'll let you guys well, know. Well, I think too, aesthetically, it was gorgeous. Like the colors, the textures, the sound, the tone, it all immediately and effectively immersed you in the director's vision. So I think they effectively established a unique new style of movie almost immediately. I think that's one of the most admirable things about Blood Machines and, and referencing William Gibson. I've actually read a couple of his books, Neuromancer and Idoru, and very much like William Gibson, like this film is a fully realized vision. It is yeah. like a, an entire world. And I can only think of a handful of other uh, movies that do this for me, like Pan's Labyrinth, maybe The Matrix, certainly Dark Crystal, where you just, you, your first seconds watching it and experiencing it transform, uh, transport you to a place that you understand right from moment one that is completely realized, which I have like a deep appreciation. Yeah. For. You know, I do, I will say that despite it being aesthetically gorgeous, I think the costuming was lacking. That's something that I had a bit of a problem with. The clothes really just seemed to not match the overall, you know, for something, for a movie that's so aesthetically interested, it seemed an odd choice to not costume it a little better. I, I feel you on that. There's a scene at the very end, and I won't give anything away, but the fabric choices that they have for the, uh, for the main character at the end, I thought this is very cheap looking. And I, I was, I was unable to give it the same sort of pass that other effects, which are kind of paying homage to that era. I thought, ooh, this is a Joanne's fabric, you know, bargain bin sale that she's wearing. Oh, okay. <laughs> you did not. Ooh, she did. Uh, if we're going to go. <laughs> Lower middle class humor. Then let me bring it here. Some listeners love to hear that we're real people and that we have real histories in the real world. But I worked in a hair salon once when I was in college. And I could not get it out of my mind when I saw all the women together. It looked like you had six women with color on their hair that needed to be rinsed really bad. Yes, rinse it, rinse. And I'm like, I get a cho- like making a choice like that stylistically, but I'm like... You need to rinse their hair. It is burning. <laughs> like you're gonna get fired. You know, I'm just seeing it as a lot of work. It, just, it was oh hard God. to get out of my head because that's what it looked like. That is oh, hilarious. It looks just oh. like that when you cut. I mean, it was like the 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 designer was like, "Let's color their hair." And then they're like, "You know what? Just leave them like that. Just leave them like that. They're good to go." You know what actually happened? They were like, we're going to color their hair. And then suddenly the Ian of the production said, we have to be on set in five minutes. And they're just like, oh, just, just go. Just turn the cameras on. You guys, I think that this, I think that Blood Machines just really put a spell on me right from the start because I wasn't paying attention to cheap Joanne Fabrics fabric choices. <laughs> you know, when I saw the red and the way that it was placed on the hair, I took it as I think how they meant it, which was sort of like an aboriginal kind of like neo-primitive approach on patting out your hair. Like sometimes you'll see uh, mm-hmm. uh, primitives put mud or whatever it might be on, on their scalps and it kind of dries and cracks and that's just kind of how they do. Um, so everything, dry, that, that, all Sherry, the choices. It never dried. <laughs> um, yeah. I, if we're going to go into some of the things that we maybe had flaws with, I feel like I personally, I could not 
get it out of my head that I, I have kind of a huge problem with the representation of women in this film. And I feel like the director probably thought this is great. Like it has a female protagonist in the very end and it's very woman centric, but it never escapes the male gaze to me. The whole thing is, you know, shots of, of women's asses in, in space or, you know, upside down crosses on her crotch and it's crotch forward motions. And it just felt kind of gross to me, honestly. I have to agree that I think it seemed like a heterosexual male's presentation of feminism. Cause it's like, Oh, we have a yes. main female character and this is female empowerment, but it's almost like hard. F- it seems like it was challenging for them to understand what that meant. Cause it didn't come off that way. I think you might be right about that. Um, when you said it, it's sort of like a straight male's representation or visual representation of, of feminism. And you know what? I don't care. Like I thought it was super hot, very sexy. Um, and, and I, and I don't like when women are kind of subjugated even for like two seconds. Like it just sends a, a shrill, like right up my spine. And, and some of the, some of the scenes featured the main male character kind of being really brutal, like physically aggressive with some of the other females. But I just felt like I felt the power was with the feminine throughout this entire thing, whether it be like connection to all the fluids, magic. I felt like the females were represented as kind of wise and shamanistic. Like they knew what was happening way before any, I mean, the men never figured it out until it was too late. It's true, but it uh, just from my perspective, I think it was presented through a male perspective and that was obvious. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Swan, you are right. Like, and you brought up this, the, the fluids and the magic. And what I really did love was this idea of call it maybe technomancy or like mechromancy. Um, you know, the ability to control machines or to have a relationship with that. And I thought that was fab, but I did feel like, you know, for a film that has women centric, women only spoke like twice. And I thought that was pretty brutal. I think at the end of it all, a film like Blood Machines is super thought-provoking. We can all agree that it's really highly stylized. It's visually arresting. It's exciting. I think whether you like the representation and the way that feminism is handled or not, it's definitely worth watching. I agree with that. I think overall, it was beautiful. Everyone's excited that it's coming out. I think they're going to enjoy it. Just looking at it from a critical point of view, I think it has a few flaws. But overall, definitely something people should check out. Well, I loved it. And I kind of want to leave listeners with a little tidbit because uh, they may go on to watch it. And I encourage them to do that. And a movie like Blood Machines doesn't really explain everything about its content. It sort of leaves it up to the viewer to uh, connect the dots and make your decisions about what the messages are. Mm -hmm. And for me, I kind of get I kept getting left with this idea and the question of whether we create God or did God create us? Because I kind of kept getting this feeling that I was watching the creation of like a new AI goddess. Mm. I love that. I feel like the question of like Deus Ex Machina, God of the Machine was absolutely present through there. And I would agree with you. You know, I maybe I have some flaws with the movie, but I would definitely recommend it. Fans of Synthwave or fans of the genre or even any of the visuals, go watch it. It's it's definitely worth a watch. Well, we chose a second film to review this week too. Um for me, I kind of wanted to balance out the psycho super future vision of Blood Machines with this, with a more kind of natural world kind of psycho. Uh, so we chose something that I know Drac was really excited about, which was The Lodge. So The Lodge is a psychological horror film directed by Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala, and it's streaming now on Amazon Prime. 
it's basically a story about a woman becoming stranded in the wilderness with the family of the man who she's dating and the horror that ensues. There are many layers to this film, and you find out more about all of the characters the more that time goes on, and you really start to lose focus of if something supernatural is happening or if the main character is out of touch with reality or maybe the family is. I don't want to spoil it, but beyond that, um, so why don't we just dig into what you both thought Before about Before we film. go into what we thought about the film, I want to mention that this film was produced by Hammer Films, which I thought was really exciting because for those of you that don't know, it's a super old production company that started around 1934, and they did a ton of classic horror movies like Curse of Frankenstein, The Mummy, Dracula. Uh, they were out of business for many years, and the brand was sold many times, and they had restarts that they were about to start making movies, and they didn't. But it did get bought around 2007 and they started producing movies again. So I was excited to see this just based on that alone before I even saw the trailer. But as far as what we thought of it, Ian, why don't you give us your feelings? Sure thing. I love this movie. This is something that is so up my alley. And I feel like you guys kind of knew this going in. I love a slow burn, methodical unreliable narrator psychological thriller. I love this movie. Is it perfect? No, but I loved it. I would absolutely recommend it to anyone. I feel like this movie starts with, it's such a strong opening, not to give anything away, but something happens very, very early on that to probably a lot of viewers, they would say, oof, that is really ghoulish. But to me, I was like cheering myself. I was like, oh, what an amazing opening. Loved it. It's no surprise that you love this movie. (laughs) Totally. I feel like everything about it I loved. I loved the color palette and I loved the pacing and the music was so slow and droning and methodical. And it reminded me of The Shining and Hereditary. Um, I just thought it was fabulous. I knew I would like this movie when, as I was watching it, I started to get that sense of existential dread coming over me that depresses you and makes you like not want to live for a couple of days after you watch it. (laughs) In a good way. You know, it kind of makes you think like, am I going crazy? What's happening? You know, it just, it really kind of permeates and penetrates you. It does me anyways. Um, Psychological thrillers always do that for me, more so than like a monster movie. And this one had psychological thriller written all over it. Um, Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It seems like something that could actually happen, which is something I always like in horror movies. Um, I really felt for the main character and her having to deal with the family and their anger towards her, which was really Mm -hmm. the thought of the partner, right? The kid's father. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was hard to decide, like, who am I rooting for? Who's the villain? Is it the main character? Is it the kids? And it went back and forth. And, you know... I feel like something like that could really happen. Uh, something that I absolutely loved. I thought that the the main actor, Riley Keough, I thought that she was phenomenal. Her performance was so nuanced and so quiet and strange that it really did lend the quality of, do I believe this character? Who am I rooting for? Kind of like we had talked about, like, am I rooting for the kids, for her? Who is the villain here? She kept me guessing the whole time, which I feel like in a movie like this is key. Oh, no, I totally agree. I'm like, who's crazier, uh, the stepmom or the stepson? Because they almost seem to be like battle of the mental illnesses or something. (laughs) I have definitely been there. (laughs) Same. Uh, I want to bring it back to the beginning, though, because I was thrilled to see Alicia Silverstone on the screen. I was like, yes! And then, unfortunately, I really didn't get to enjoy her for very long. Well, let's not go into why, but yeah. (laughs) Well, I just, just really quick, I won't give away 
why, but there is a scene with Alicia Silverstone where she she's looking at herself in the mirror and then she just bursts into tears and I literally just went, mood. <laughs> <laughs> Relatable content. Totally. I really like the pacing of the movie in that sense. It Again, I think it made you feel i really felt what the characters were feeling as the movie went on like from all angles like you were the kid for a minute you were like wow this is the quintessential stepmom that's being forced on you that you don't want to deal with and then from the other side you're like why you know my in-laws are crazy why am i having to deal with these people i didn't sign up for this and it just brings you to all those places and then like i'm in a call and now i'm gonna kill someone like that too you know you can relate to that ian you can relate to that (laughs) Absolutely. That was exactly what happened when I moved here. <laughs> One thing that I loved about the relationship between the kids and the the stepmom, like you guys are talking about, I read that the director actually took the kids on like outings, like they went like rock climbing and they went like skiing and did all these like really fun things without her so that then when they arrived on set, there was already an established relationship and a tension between them. Oh, that's really smart. Oh, I love that. You should do that, that for cool. the next season of Dragula. <laughs> think about it <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> so i think uh the directors had me fully engaged and in the bad mental space like i said the whole time but i do feel like i got disengaged at the end i feel like i sort of let go like I, it, the movie was no longer scary for me at the very end i love it i mm. i love the movie overall but the end just i felt like hmm that doesn't seem like how this story ends well, there were some stunts in there that I felt like kind of took me out of the realm of like this could actually happen. And maybe we went into a place where I was like, OK, this is becoming a little slightly less believable, which is always something you run the risk of if you're playing like along a psychological thriller. You want people to believe this could actually happen. This could happen to you. This could happen to someone you love. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few developments of the story there kind of took me out of that for a minute. But I give it a pass because it was such an exercise in bleakness and like this glacial atmosphere, super ominous. I was basically uncomfortable and uneasy for like two hours. So the things that that happened at the end didn't take me. Uh, out I know what you're so referring much. to, like some of the stunts that the kids pull that they wouldn't have been able to pull that off. But I thought for a minute, maybe she was imagining that they were doing this stuff and that mm-hmm. that was part of her psychotic trip. I mean, honestly, without giving away too much of the specifics of the plot, it's those type of questions that get asked to viewers throughout yeah. this whole film. It's it's that idea of the unreliable narrator. You just don't know what to what to take as real fact or illusion and fantasy. Horror. You know, I think about this even when we talk about the people that Ian date every once in a while. I'm like, <laughs> you know, you when someone shows you who they are, you need to believe them. You know, when you come from a cult and you're parents murdered everyone and you were the last surviving member and all this you might want to think about that in a mate if you choose to be with them when they try to kill you and you're like i'm so surprised i can't believe that happened you know i mean to totally corroborate your story i i love the main character i'm like oh yes lie to me unreliable narrator oh from a cult she's fine (laughs) i see see. that explains a lot totally for sure it's this whole, it's this whole idea that like, uh, and the film touches on this, like mental illness and like religious fanaticism. These are like mm-hmm. underlying themes. And I know what I'm thinking that they're basically the same thing. Um, but we can, <laughs> you know, not everybody believes that. So we can pretend for the sake of this discussion. So overall, we give it a thumbs up. Yeah. 
Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. I would say for anyone who's on the fence, though, this movie to me falls in one of those categories of it's not. I wouldn't say there are no jump scares. And if you're looking for a like, ooh, I'll go see this with all my friends. It's a Halloween scary movie. It is absolutely not. It is a slow burn, methodical, psychological. I say watch it. it by yourself. Turn the lights off and turn the volume up. Totally. Okay, well, we're going to take another break. And when we return, we'll be diving right into this episode's hauntings of history. See you soon. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And welcome to the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night Hauntings of History segment. For this section of the show, we like to dig up a real-life documented supernatural happening and give listeners an abridged history of the terrifying event. We encourage you to turn off the lights, find a dark, quiet place to relax in, and prepare for a journey into the unknown. For today's haunting, we're going to be discussing the strange case of the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. Whether it's a story about a UFO encounter, a tussle with evil spirits, or a case of misinterpreted natural phenomena, something undeniably horrible occurred at the Sutton Family Farmhouse in Hopkinsville, Kentucky on the night of August 21, 1955. It all started when five adults and seven children appeared at the Hopkinsville Police Station on the night of August 21st, claiming their family was being harassed by strange creatures after witnessing an unidentified flying object that crashed nearby. The family claimed to have been holding off the unknown attackers with gunfire for nearly four hours, but said that they were unable to deter or kill the monsters. It was reported that 10 to 15 of the creatures were involved in the attack. They were said to have a goblin-like appearance, stand at around three feet tall, and to have glowing eyes, pointy ears, and long arms that reached the ground topped with sharp claws. The family reported that the creatures would repeatedly emerge from the woods and crawl around on the roof and front porch of the house, peeking through windows and doors. The family opened fire on the creatures many times and reported that the gunfire only sent them away for a few minutes at a time. A small army of reporters, police, and investigators returned to the farmhouse with the family and searched the house and some of the surrounding fields. Though they saw evidence of a firefight, they found no evidence of the creatures outside of a small patch of grass that was strangely luminous where the ship was said to have landed. Police left the residence at around 2 a.m. and the exhausted family retired for the night. They were reportedly awakened a few hours later as the creatures returned and were peering through the farmhouse windows again. The family began shooting at the creatures again to no avail. There are conflicting reports on what happened next, although it is widely believed that the family surrendered and left the farm at around 5 a.m. Investigators and police returned to the scene over the next few days, but found no physical evidence of the creatures other than bullets and gunshots fired from the family. Neighbors claimed that the battle was nothing but a fictional tale blamed on too much moonshine, and the family were harassed and threatened by the locals. Ten days later, they moved out and left town. Police Chief Russell Greenwell later claimed that the family seemed legitimately terrified when they first came to the police station for help and said, These aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help. What they do is reach for their guns. Investigator Isabel Davis's strong impression after meeting the mother of the family was one of a somber, no-nonsense matriarch who abhorred the limelight and had no reason to lie. None of the witnesses, Davis noted, had any history of making preposterous allegations. Twenty years later, UFO enthusiasts tracked down the daughter of one of the family members who were at the farm that night. 
She told them that the last three people who were still living that experienced the encounter will not speak of it to this day. They maintain their recollection of the alleged events, and she believes them. There are several alternate theories as to what the creatures who pursued the family may have been, ranging from ghosts to a flock of great horned owls. But whatever it was, the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter remains one of the most intriguing American hauntings of history to date. That's such a cool story. It's the setting and the time that it's supposed to have happened that makes it feel like it could be more possible to me. Like in a remote area, countryside, 1955, this seems like a story that you would never hear in modern days. Maybe it's because everybody has a cell phone or something, but that type of isolation in that kind of country setting makes it feel like maybe this could happen in something in a place or in a time like 1955. And to speak to that, they did not have running water. They did not have electricity. They were really in the sticks. This was a country family in the middle of nowhere wow i know what it feels like to be camping in a remote place like that and really feel that kind of like isolation not that it's the same as living there but to know what that vulnerability is like and it is real yeah i i don't know i i'm skeptical of this honestly i feel like the story is so cool and it is really scary to hear it all laid out like that like it it's really horrifying and i i could definitely believe but i have i've read about it too and i don't know i have doubt in my mind what what do you doubt about it something about the story just feels like the we're going off of their account you know they went to the police after and they said this is what happened and we just you know all the police showed up and then we just kind of believed them but it was you know it's late at night they're shooting at what later became like little green men and i i just did some digging there's you know maybe evidence that they were great horned owls and that the green that they were seeing in the woods was foxfire which is like this uh like bioluminescent fungi or maybe that's all what the government is trying to tell me which i can also believe you know and maybe that's that's the joy of a story like this like it is it's really i mean i'm actually talking about it maybe i believe it more than i did initially (laughs) sometimes people just find their own path you know (laughs) totally well to to know that it's 12 people you know seven adults and five children that are all in on this dupe or is it like a mass hallucination? Are are they actually seeing something there? There's the physical stuff like the luminescence in the grass and stuff, but also the character witnesses like law enforcement. Like these are like no nonsense type of people. And I, you guys know like country people, not like I'm trying to stereotype, but the idea that it's like, they don't go to the police. They just kind of rely on themselves. They handle their own business. So to have the whole family like rattled up in the cage and like going to town to report it and carrying this on for hours and hours, like all night long to have it dealt with, but then go back because it happened again, it kind of leads some credence to this idea that they were genuinely horrified. What is I it that they're something seeing? happened? Who knows what it was, but I don't think that they were making it up. Based off of the research that I did and the accounts that I read, I don't believe that they made it up. I believe something happened. I don't believe it was owls, even though I think I showed you guys a picture recently. Um, Young owls that don't have all their feathers do look like aliens. I do not think that young owls would attack a house in the middle of the night. So, (laughs) Totally. But, you know, the great horned owls are three feet tall and have a wingspan of like three feet wide. So that's where I, that's where I'm like, "Mm, I'm skeptical, but I think that you're right. I think something did totally happen there. And I, I like the idea of that mass hallucination where you can believe if you 
really believe in something, it becomes real. Do I think it's aliens? No. But do I think something scary as hell happened? Absolutely. I don't know. It seems... Sure. It's like the same thing with faith. You know, you can see, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this maybe when you were younger, but you know, sometimes you can get with a group of people and you are, let's say you're camping in the woods in the middle of nowhere overnight. You can hype each other up and kind of Mm -hmm. convince each other that something is happening. And you, when you go to bed, you're like, we're going to be murdered. But when you wake up, right. And then when you wake up, you're like, I feel like an idiot. Nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> There's a momentum to that hysteria. So I don't know if it was a case of that. It does seem that there was some kind of antagonist, but who knows what it was? We'll never know. Well, it's definitely intriguing. Thank you for that terrifying tale. We have some time left, and it seems like this is the perfect chance to answer some of our listener questions. Every episode, we'd like to give you guys a chance to ask us about the projects we're working on or things we may not have covered in a previous episode. So if you have questions, please feel free to email us at creatures at Dragula. And if you know what happened in the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, and you've been sitting on it for all this time, please email us and tell us what it was. We're dying (laughs) to know. All right. So let's do some listener questions. Let's get into it. This one comes from Razor Blade, and something tells me that's a drag name. Um, Let's see. The question is, what advice would you give someone who is just starting out performing in drag during times like these and wants to try to establish themselves? This is a weird time to start drag. My advice to you would be work on your makeup and your looks because this is a great time to to watch tutorials and experiment with different products, if you can get them, of course. Um, But Rite Aid is still open. You can start where everybody else did and go get you some L'Oreal and work it out. <laughs> Sound advice. I think a lot of drag is knowing what you want and kind of knowing what you want to be. And this would be a great time to think those things through and really kind of brainstorm your creativity. It's not a great time to try to establish a name for yourself because everybody's so limited. Um, but like Drax said, grab some L'Oreal and work uh, it out. This next question is from Jane. My question is, do you believe in Zodiac signs and what they mean? Or is it just bullshit in your opinion? I will leave this question to you. Perfect. Um, I think that there's undeniable credence to Zodiac, star signs, moon signs, rising. If you explore it and read about it and kind of analyze your own character your own personality and the personalities of the people around you i think you'd have to be a fool to say that it's just bullshit good point uh next question this is an interesting question this is from marco he marco asks which aspects of yourselves did you have to work on to get where you are today I am a psychology student and aspiring therapist working very hard on finding my true self to help others do the same in the future. For myself, I had to work on stage fright because I had very bad stage fright when we first started doing this. Oddly, I didn't have stage fright when we were performing as ourselves. So when we would go and act out stage shows in the nightclubs that we produced, I never had a problem doing that. I ran these crazy side stages and did very crazy performances. Never had a problem at all. It didn't even bother me. But when I right when True. I first picked up a microphone to host something, I, I was shocked at how terrified I was. And it took me a long time to get over that. And you've come such a, a long way now. I rely on you so 
uh, fully and thoroughly. Like you're a fifty fifty uh, part of the show, and I can depend on you. We have like this almost unspoken psychic connection now where I know when you're going to end and I pick up and, and sort the, of vice versa. Thank You've you. And the way. weird thing is people that knew me before I got on stage and started talking would think you would be a great host, blah, blah, blah. And, and I agreed. So I was surprised to find out when the microphone hit my hand that it was as terrifying as it was. But I think when you go on stage, it exposes things that are going on inside your head and ways that you might feel about yourself that you never expected i think it's very therapeutic and helpful actually no i i totally agree it it, it strips you it's kind of like um even though we're dressed and painted and wigged and we have all these illusions like wrapped around ourselves it really does kind of strip you of any kind of protective stuff like that when it comes to your personality or your fears of yeah and it's very annoying but if you work through it it makes you so strong you you never go backwards I think to answer the question, uh, aspects of myself that I needed to work on, there's so few. I mean, I was just such a natural... What about your eye makeup? Um, No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm going to say it's kind of a a general aspect of myself, but I would say the idea of discipline. I really needed to rein it in and focus and discipline myself to achieve the things that we've achieved today, uh, to be a productive part of our team and just sometimes we're playing like a very long game and it's easy to say oh i'm a gemini uh see what i did there circling back to the um the astrology question now i am a gemini and i change my mind a lot and it's this idea of staying always sort of like mentally stimulated that's very important for me to be kind of quote unquote happy but there's a different kind of satisfaction when i stay disciplined and stay the course and follow through then there's a huge satisfaction which leads to achievement and um i think that's kind of what the question was about would you support a vegan performer who wished to stick to their morals on the show? Of course, I would support them right until the moment that they decided their <laughs> morals are more important than surviving on the show. You know, luckily we haven't <laughs> run into that problem. I know people reference Loris from season one being a vegan and she was on the show. But at the time, no one on the crew nor us knew that she was a vegan so by the time that happened we were like what what it was just uh, a weird a weird thing that happened that we had you know you learn the more you work on the show there's things you have to look out for and things you have to do and we just weren't aware of it at the time um so we were just as surprised as the viewers were when we heard that <laughs> i think it says something though about loris's commitment in any vegan or or someone who is committed to a, a certain lifestyle that um if she was willing to put that on the line and go against that belief it kind of underlined how important it was to remain on the show yeah i think that's true i mean i would never encourage someone to go against their moral compass to to be on a reality show but you know, I also think there was, it was a weird time. I don't know how long she had been a vegan at that point or how super committed she was to it. It happened and it hasn't happened again since. So there's your answer. Okay. So our next question comes from someone we've actually met um, at a meet and greet in London. Her name is Harriet and she gifted us with a book of puns. And I think that was for me because I was so, um, you know, I kind of loves to use puns and you can see that on the uh, episodes of the Blue Brothers Dragula. Um, she's a teacher and she goes on to say last year was very difficult for her and she faced so much self-doubt that she could barely get out of bed every day. Do you ever go through periods of self-doubt? And if so, how do you deal with them? Um, I absolutely do. I think I would speak for both of us when I say that. How do I deal with them? 
you never know that you have dealt with them until you get up and start doing something again. You know, it's it's not like there's a check off in your head that you're like, I'm good. I can return to normalcy. It's sort of something that probably plagues everybody a little bit in the back of their head when they're sticking their neck out on a project or even just kind of getting by a, a hard time. I think you have to get up and stay busy. That's the most useful advice I think I can give to someone is get off your ass and get into something because it will distract you and you won't sit around concentrating on it. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that, but uh, it's interesting. You're saying the same thing, but kind of almost from the other side of the coin. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I think for someone like you, it's important to think it through and decide, hey, I have to make this decision because I have self-doubt. I'm going to keep going because if I don't, that's kind of like a mental vortex and I'm not going to allow myself to get pulled into that. Um, And for me, I achieve the same thing, but it's from a different means. and And the road is like this. Put it out of your mind and keep going. Like it's a matter of faith. If you're trying to achieve something that's unbelievable, no one's going to believe it until you start to make it reality. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, she can do that. Oh wait, she did do that. Oh right, of course she did that. Oh yeah, she's succeeding now. It's like you can't look to people to uh, support your dream or whatever it is that you're focusing on. Sometimes you have to stick your neck out, make it reality, and then make them believe in you i hope that made sense she was long <laughs> from ashley asks when you guys are chilling at home you know because jack is <laughs> often chilling uh what are you watching uh, make sure chilling no like like how she wrote it no g <laughs> just chilling no g. at home um what are we watching well obviously we watch a lot of horror movies but if i have to be honest with you i don't but i will um I am watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills right now. That is what I am watching. <laughs> it is... Uh, doesn't take a lot of mental concentration to watch. Not complicated. Very easy to get. You can have a glass of wine and just kick back and forget all your problems and watch Kyle call someone a ragamuffin. <laughs> And I'm going to totally double down, of course, if Jack's there with her wine watching Real Housewives. I'm right next to her doing the same. It's something that we enjoy. And we watch almost all of the franchises of the Real Housewives. We love that. Um, Speaking of Kyle Richards, I hear a little rumor that she may potentially be a guest on an upcoming episode of the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which I'm really excited about. I'm such a huge fan of Kyle's uh, in the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And also... And the new Halloween movie she's going to be in. And I'm so thrilled about that. So do we have time for one more? Sure. Why not? Okay. uh, This is a question from Peter. Peter says, like you, I really love horror, but food comes in at a very close second. I was wondering what food do you enjoy the most? For me, it's a good steak. For me, it's a nice, medium-rare, raw child. Oh, my God. No, um... <laughs> You're the edgelord. That for, t- <laughs> for, for me, it's a skewered baby. No, I think I would pick French pastries. After we went to France and we experienced all those delicious little cafes... Oh my god! Uh, it's like the be- it's just nothing comes close to it. I love it. It's my favorite. I want to sit there with all these little cakes and teas and be fancy, and I don't give a shit what people think about it. I love it. No, amazing. And you know what? I do know what what I'm going to say, and I'm going to say a rare roast beef with Interesting. horseradish. 
Okay. Bloody and gotcha. delicious. I love it. All right. I think that is all the time we have today. Remember, if you have questions for us about anything you've heard here on the podcast or just for us in general, you can email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com. And we also want to remind you, when you're done listening to this podcast, if you enjoyed it, make sure you give us a five-star rating and leave us some comments and some words of encouragement because we all need a little bit of that right now, right? I think you're 100% right. That's it from both of us. We love you all, and we'll see you next time, darlings. The Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Fangoria Podcast Network original, hosted and produced by Drakmorda and Swanthula Boulet, featuring co-host Ian DeVogler. Executive producers Dallas Sonier and Phil Nobile Jr. Produced by Natasha Posada. Associate producer Jessica Safa-Vamer. Edited and mixed by Ernesto Hurtada. Music by Neuron Spectre. For Fangoria, Brandon Wynardi, Jason Kozlerich, and Rachel Wilson. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.